You're listening to a special episode of the Doggeritaville podcast. Come unleash and unwind as we invite other dog professionals to our yappy hour. Here are guests from the show by picking not only the beverage, but their favorite dog topic as well. So grab a yummy cocktail, get comfy in your best chair, and join us for a chat. And as always, welcome to Doggeritaville. Welcome to the Doggeritaville Yappy Hour. That's a really well-timed yap for my puppy, (laughs) (laughs) where we unleash and unwind with other dog professionals. Our Yappy Hour guest today is Maddie, a part-time professional dog trainer in Chicago. Maddie, welcome to Doggeritaville. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited that you decided to do this. Uh, So Maddie's on TikTok as my boy Rudder, which is how we got connected. All of my guests so far have been TikTok people. So um, make sure to follow her there. She has some um, really helpful tips for dog owners and cute videos of her own dog. And I would consider you the clapback queen of dog training TikTok, maybe second to dog sense. And actually definitely, definitely silver medal to Maddie of Maddie and Meatball. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That's fair. I'll take that position. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for our Yappy Hour beverage, you chose red wine. So tell us about yours. Um, This is not fancy red wine. I live alone and I'm currently single. So I buy those like four packs of this single glass um jars that I can just pour in and have a glass of wine without having to open an entire bottle so that's what you're getting I love it (laughs) that's awesome I got something called three thieves pinot noir it was like not five dollars but also not fifteen dollars so I felt like (laughs) you know it was fancy enough (laughs) I love it um so for our first segment Uh, I don't know if you've listened to our podcast before, but Laura and I are both kind of aggressive people. So we've like aggressively named this segment. Who do you think you are and what gives you the right? And basically, I'm just going to ask you about yourself. It's not really as aggressive as it sounds. So Okay. I love Um, that. So who are you in the dog world? What's your business? What do you do? I'm a little bit of everything. I'm a part-time dog trainer. I have a corporate nine to five job, but dogs have been something that I've been involved in since literally since I could talk, like since before I could walk, since I was like two years old, my parents have so many stories. I consider myself a little bit of everything. I've done search and rescue work. I've done service dog work, obedience. My sweet spot is puppy raising though. So I would say like I'm an expert at raising a puppy. Um, And then I have a ton of knowledge about nutrition and like general dog wellness and breeding and genetics. Yeah, I was so close to talking about nutrition with you because that's such like an interesting topic and it's hard to find someone who like seems like they really know what they're talking about. So, Mm -hmm. um, but we decided to go city dogs because we haven't talked about that before. We do have a diet and nutrition episode that I'm sure if you listen to it, you'd be like, no, that's not, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited for city dogs. I think it's a important topic. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, So who are you when you are not working with dogs? When I'm not working with dogs, I work in corporate America in advertising. Um, I also am a licensed EMT and I am a retired coxswain. So coming from the rowing scene, which is why my dog is named Rudder. Oh, okay. Wow. A little bit of everything for you. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And then, so you obviously have your personal dog, Rudder. Any other personal dogs? Not right now. I just have Rudder and I had a service dog that I was raising and I returned her in March. So I've been back to solo dog life for a couple months now. Okay. That's always nice. Yeah. Um, so tell us about Rudder. Rudder is a really interesting dog. He is a purebred English Springer Spaniel, my first Spaniel. He's a really interesting dog. He's very sensitive and highly intelligent and very, he's been mature since day one. Um, Like that anyone, everyone just describes him as an old soul, but he's been a really interesting challenge for me because of how sensitive he is. Um, And I really enjoyed that because I came from experience with a lot of working dogs where they were bred for confidence and stability. And he's a confident dog, but he is genetically leans a little bit more insecure so he's, he's a really interesting dog, but he's really fun. Spaniels are so fun. And so I'm a whole lot less familiar with the world of like breeding and genetics. So what are a Spaniels bred to do? 
Spaniels are gun dogs. They're bird dogs. So they're a sporting breed. So they're very similar to labs and goldens and poodles and pointers, um, but they're not as into retrieving. So they're flushers. So they track and they flush and they do some retrieving, but they're outdoor dogs. Like they love to swim. They love to be muddy. They love to use their noses. They're just really fun athletic dogs. Awesome. So what for with a dog like that, with those kinds of um, things that they tend toward, how do you like fulfill that for butter? Yeah. So a lot of just open fields covering ground. So the thing that I don't like about retrievers is I don't like standing and just throwing a ball over and over. Like I'm a walker, I'm an explorer. So I love having a dog that by nature just wants to cover a lot of ground. So we do a lot of long line and off leash time and retractable leash time of just walking and exploring and letting him use his nose and jump and run and fall down and get back up and be, be a dog. So um, that's what I love about having him. That's awesome. I loved your, um, I forget what the assertion was, but you had some TikTok that you were responding to a comment about like certain dogs always being excited. And it's just like a montage of rudder, just like lounging around your house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Daniels are supposed to be um, a little like bonkers, but he's not from working line. So he's pretty balanced. Um, but yeah, he's not the hyperactive type. <laughs> And he's very, very cute. So everyone should go follow her Instagram and TikTok. So, um, and then how did you get where you are today? So any qualifications, mentoring, schooling, anything like that? No true qualifications, really just being self-taught and finding good mentors along the way, you know, like. It was so clear when I was so young that I was into dogs, but my dad is actually allergic to dogs. So my parents were really good about finding me ways to be involved in dogs without necessarily owning our own. And so that's how I got involved in search and rescue dogs and service dogs. And my parents would drive me to the craziest places still to volunteer and train with the um, Illinois Search and Rescue Group. And through that, I learned a lot. I learned a ton. And then I was just like a sponge um, growing up and I would borrow all of the neighbor's dogs and test different methodologies and experience different breeds and personalities um, and, you know, fine tune my handling skills. And then as an adult, I've been really lucky to learn from some people locally who've kind of taken me under their wing and, you know, helped me develop my skills further. That's great. Um, anything else to say about who you think you are and what gives you the right before we move on to like the meat of the episode? I don't think so. I think I'm one of those interesting people on TikTok because I don't train dogs full time. Like I don't own my own dog training business. And so I, and I, I look really young as well. I get that a lot. So I feel like a lot of people, times people write me off, but I think it's important in the dog world to recognize that like experience can be more valuable than like book learnings. And so that's something I pride myself in is that I've just been involved in dogs for so long in so many different capacities. And that's really where I get my, my um, experience and my qualifications from. Love it. Okay. So we're talking about study dogs today and I'm excited about this topic because Laura lives uh, my co-host. She lives in Las Vegas but she works kind of in the surrounding areas. So it's not necessarily like apartments and that kind of thing. And then I live out in the boonies, like just the absolute sticks. Um, And so when I started doing virtual sessions and my clientele kind of grew a little bit, I had a couple people actually in Chicago um, who had dogs working with reactivity and I've only ever done like similar to bat 2.0. So I was like, I just, I'm not the trainer for you. I don't know how to work with a dog who like literally walks out the door and sees 20 triggers. Like I don't know what to do. Um, So city dogs are like a whole different beast. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. Yeah. Um, So first of all, what do we mean when we say city dogs? Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? To me, a city dog is just a dog that lives in a dense urban environment with a lot of different types of stimuli that can be difficult to escape. So to me, that's what city dog means. Um, And obviously cities take many different shapes and forms, but I think like an urban dog that is exposed to a lot at all times of the day, every day would be a city dog to me. Okay. Yeah. And then how is owning a city dog different than owning a dog in the suburbs or like where I live kind of in the middle of nowhere? (laughs) It's so different. 
I think it's kind of a mix of things is they're just exposed to a lot. So I always say like some dogs who, some city dogs who like really struggle with reactivity or fear behaviors or insecurity or nervousness, if they were to live on a farm or in a very calm suburb, you may not even know they were reactive. You may not even know they were such a fearful dog because there aren't so many stimuli and opportunities for that to be expressed or to push the dog past its comfort zone, right? So I feel like what makes owning a city dog different is like you see the extremes of dogs coming out because they're just pushed every day. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I think the average city dog owner really has to step up and be above average because you really, to navigate the city, you do need advanced handling skills. You need a dog with more reliable training. You just need to be more savvy. And some people step up to that plate and others don't, which cause a whole nother host of issues that city dogs face. But it really is a different beast, you know, just exercising your dog and finding ways to enrich your dog. It's it's harder to find a balance for sure. It takes more effort. Yeah, certainly. Um, and then I, I am not ever really from a city. Like I lived in Seattle for a little while, but I wasn't dog training there. So like, I didn't have the experience with those kinds of dogs, but my, my imagination just like shows me more like little apartment dogs who like maybe only get out for potty breaks. Do you run into that a lot? I do. Or dogs that are just carried a lot of places and then they don't know how to handle stress well, um, because they just don't spend much time on the ground. Right. And it's one of those things where, I I feel I really feel for people who own city dogs with behavioral issues because a lot of the content that you see online are people, you know, working in these open areas and we don't necessarily have that luxury. So it's not really, you know, always transferable. And so where I get stuck in the middle of this debate of like purely positive versus balance versus other methods and tools are not tools, like it can be really hard to train a dog with some methods when like you had said, like thresholds don't really exist where I live and to manage a dog like that, like really requires advanced handling skills, which, you know, professionals often need to teach you. And so um, I feel like it's just more, more complicated at times and more extreme. Yeah. Um, one of the things I don't want to like take you off the reels of your bullet points. So let me know if, oh, you no, go for it. um, so one of the things that I've been curious about is, um, I do puppy head start here at my house. So I have puppies oh, like cool. eight to 10 or 12 weeks and kind of get them prepared for things and do socialization. And when I think about what I would do, if I lived in that kind of environment, I'm just not sure because I feel like I couldn't step out the door with kind of, without kind of overwhelming the puppy. Um, so I'm wondering, like, as someone who's especially an expert in puppies, and then also like in that environment, how do you go about socialization? The biggest thing is advocating for your dog. And it's really hard when you have a really cute puppy. I live in a Chicago neighborhood now. But when I got my dog as a puppy, I live like literally in the center of Chicago. And a lot of it was management of telling people no and creating boundaries and safe places for him to just be able to observe the world. And a lot of it was, you know, premeditated. I'm going to wake up earlier normally than I would today so we can go sit by the train quietly. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, we're going to do different walks at different times so he can experience different parts of the city. Or I'm purposely going to take him somewhere where I know they're doing construction to expose him to that. So it's a lot more um, like premeditated thought and planning. And the socialization is hard, right? Because like a lot of socialization is just misunderstood. People bring their dogs to dog parks and just let them have a free-for-all. And that causes, you know, there's like a halo effect of that, of the dogs in the city. A lot of reactive dogs and a young puppy that's constantly being reacted out and it's going down the street causes a whole nother host of issues. Sure. So it's a lot of just pre-planning and being very conscious and being able to advocate for your dog and set boundaries, especially with the really cute puppies. Yeah. I can't imagine, honestly, like when I think about it, I just get a little bit anxious. I'm like, I don't know how I would handle that. (laughs) Totally. Totally. It's like I, where I lived, I was basically on a college campus. And so like, 
you know, at night there was just like these packs of like drunk girls would be walking down the sidewalk at us and they'd see a puppy and it's like, puppy, like 10 high pitched drunk screaming girls reaching their hand out at him. And it's like, in those situations, it can be really hard to be like, no, leave us yeah. alone, you know, or just ha having the confidence to ignore them, pick up the dog and walk the other direction. Um, so yeah, it can definitely be hard. It's very different than a suburb. Yeah. And that's, that's a situation that comes up a lot just in general with dogs is like weird social pressure things where you feel mm -hmm. like you have to do something because like it's socially acceptable, but it's not that good for your dog. So then just like having that kind of tenfold in a place where you're running into someone every five feet. Yeah. And that was one of the bullet points that we, that I wanted to talk about is just like the expectations of city dogs are too high. Um, like, I feel like people get a dog and they just think it's going to be that, you know, dog that they see on Instagram, the dog that wants to socialize with everyone that they can bring to every bar patio that they can go to the dog park. And that's really a minority of dogs. But the expectation is that every dog acts that way. So a lot of people unknowingly put their dogs over threshold and thrust their dogs into behavioral issues that they may not have had otherwise if they would have been read correctly or just other people being really annoying with your dog and not respecting, you know, a dog's boundaries. Yeah. So what would you say to someone like who is listening to this and who is like, uh Oh, I hope I'm not doing that to my dog. Like, how would you tell someone like to look for, for those kinds of things? I would say, you know, like hire a trainer, hire someone that you trust and you may not even need to hire them to teach your dog things, but you can hire them to teach you things about your dog. So trained, eye will see things in a dog that you may not. And perfect example of this is I work, I was working with a woman yesterday and she described her dog to me as a classic guarding breed that he, that he exhibited classic guarding behaviors. And I walked in and I was like, no, your dog is insecure. He's not, he's not. And I was like, you know, he doesn't, he, he was like 13% Rottweiler. He was mostly German Shepherd, which is a herding breed, but the rescue had told her, you know, oh, he just, he has, he's just a typical guard dog. He'll bark at people, you know, he'll bark at the door. And what I saw in front of me was a very insecure dog, but she was just writing it off as that's just his nature. And so sometimes it can really help to have someone who's a professional come in and help you assess your dog and what would be appropriate for your dog and just identify what is fun for your dog and what's not fun. Right. Yeah. I love that. Which brings yeah. us into like a segue into training. So training between a dog who lives in a city and then maybe your average pet dog is probably going to look a lot different. Yeah. There's a lot to that. Is there like any specific area that you want to talk about more? The two big things that come to mind are, so I, before I got certain. So some of my puppy head start dogs have gone to New York. Um, and mm -hmm. before I got those clients, I had never in my life or in my training career taught a dog how to heal because I don't need it. Um, yeah. but they're like, we're going to be walking on sidewalks. And so I want my dog to know how to heal. So I learned how to do that. So I could teach their dog that. And then the other yep. thing that comes to mind is, um, if I was sharing walls with someone, I would be really concerned about my dog barking. Yeah. So <laughs> Yes, the structured walk in the city can be super beneficial just for safety reasons. Like where I live, I see glass on the sidewalk all the time, chicken bones. And so we do a structured walk to our destination and then I let him be a dog. And that's purely just for safety, right? And a dog in a suburb like may not need a competition level heel or like a super engaged walk as long as it's not, you know, being annoying and pulling on the leash or lunging or being a jerk. Um, so that's definitely something different. And yes, raising a puppy, like it is so it changes everything because like normally if, you know, if someone was saying, Hey, I have this puppy in crate training, you know, the dog's just throwing a fit, you, you know, like let, let the dog whine it out, you know, put the crate in the basement you sleep upstairs let the dog whine it out. But like in a city, when you share with neighbors, like you can't do that. Right. So there's a lot more steps to everything and just being conscious. One of the best gifts that I gave to myself is I moved into a new place before I got rudder specifically because it was a loft building and there was 17 inches of concrete between every unit. And it was like bomb proof. So I was like, 
perfect place to raise a puppy. We lived there for a year and then moved. Um, but yeah, there's just like a lot, a lot more to think about. Even just like how things like Giardia and kennel cough get passed around like wildfire in a city. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's something I didn't think about either. Yeah. And like something else is like going back to like the handling skills is I lived with Rudder in an elevator building for two years and even just learning how to manage a dog appropriately in an elevator is mm-hmm. a big thing. And so like I taught him the middle command specifically for that situation. Um, there's just, yeah, there are definitely more nuances if you're being a responsible dog owner. Some people just let their dogs act as if they live in a suburb and there aren't neighbors to worry about, but <laughs> that's a whole other topic. How did you handle um, potty training with him in an elevator building? Did you have like a grass mat on the balcony or something? No, I didn't even have a balcony. So I lived on the ninth floor and the only outside space was outside and there was not grass in sight for blocks. I took the potty training route, which is more annoying, which was the every hour on the hour. If he doesn't go on the hour, he's in the crate till the next hour and like doing it that way is a lot of work but it works like he was potty trained in a week and a half so I I worked from home that week and a half and I just knocked it out and the thing is is like I mean that's also how I potty trained like all the service dog puppies that I raised but a lot of people just want don't like to commit to that amount of having to be home having to watch your puppy it's it's a lot of work even though I find it to be very a fast way to potty train your puppy or, you know, people go to work, right? Um, right. So, yeah. So, I had the luxury that I could work from home, but I was up and down that elevator. My neighbors, I would get comments from my neighbors. They're like, we just always see you outside. We always see you in the neighborhood. And I'm like, or in the elevator. I'm like, yeah, because I'm like trying to get this potty training done. Yeah. Um, but it can be really hard, especially if you don't have a dog that has good denning instincts in the kennel uh, crate training doesn't work to your advantage. That can be really sticky. Yeah, for sure. And again, especially if you're sharing walls. Yeah. It's a pain in the butt. Potty training a dog in a building like that is an absolute pain in the butt. Yeah. A lot of my clients, they, they come to me because they're struggling with potty training their puppy and I explain to them what they need to do. And their response is that's a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, puppies are a lot of work. Exactly. (laughs) That's the correct answer. Like if you're raising a puppy and you're not thinking to yourself 20 times a day, this is so much work. Do I regret my decision? You're not doing it right. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I like, I don't like going outside, you know, 12 times a day and my potty area is right outside my door. Like I just put them out and they go potty and I already hate it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I feel that. Um, so my, uh, the one that I had forgotten to now remember is Laura and I both work with a lot of leash reactivity and we, we have different styles, but we both utilize a lot of space to our advantage. Um, mm-hmm. So how would you navigate that? Like kind of unable to get that space that you might want, you know? Yeah. So the source of the reactivity definitely matters. You know, sometimes it's overstimulation, frustration, fearfulness, insecurity, um, all sorts of things. A lot of times the reactivity that we see in the city is from over socialization in dog parks. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times just stopping on leash greetings, stopping dog parks, teaching leash engagement can help a lot. But other than that, it's a lot of like interruptive work. So using physical touch or changes of directions or like stutter steps to interrupt a dog and purposely going places where you can find distance to teach a dog a more passive mindset. And honestly, the people that I've seen who have had most success get a network of people together to set up situations in Mm. parks and such to help their dogs. There are definitely trainers in the city who for the very, very, very reactive dogs that are coming from a place of like severe fear or insecurities can get the dog under control using like an e-collar through like a very structured heel, et cetera. And once the dog is under control, then you can work on addressing their emotional response. Hmm. Um, 
but it it is really hard it takes a lot of work like you really 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 have to be dedicated to it and your handling skills really have to be on point and you really have to understand tools and how to fit them properly even if it's just a flat color to be able to you know navigate situations appropriately yeah I mean it's hard it's a lot of just creating space by changing directions crossing streets setting up scenarios and just like really perfecting your timing and doing stuff outside of the walk to build confidence and to, you know, help condition a more passive mindset and to build engagement. Um, But it's unfortunate. Like I see a lot of my neighbors literally who walk around with spray bottles and spray their dogs with water in the face Mm -hmm. to stop the reactivity. It's really bad. And like the thing that I'll say about that is when I lived in the neighborhood downtown, something that I noticed that was very, very clear to me is that the reactivity seemed to like spread throughout the neighborhood. Like it was like a chronic Mm -hmm. systemic issue because there were so many unaddressed, highly reactive dogs that caused reactivity in other dogs from constantly being lunged at or jumped on or snarled at. And it was like this really crazy ripple effect. I would see new dogs coming to the neighborhood that would be okay or would be fine as puppies. And then like, as soon as they hit that like pivotal, like four to seven month mark, you know, boom. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you bring a puppy in that naturally leans to more insecurity or fearful, just as genetics dictate, which is, you know, many dogs, you're not setting them up for success by constantly being bombarded by that type of energy. So it's like, it's a really, and just like the overuse of dog parks too. It's it's like, I don't know if it's like this in every city, but in Chicago, there are just so many reactive dogs, so many reactive dogs. Well, we have a, a couple of family members who live there. So we've been to the city a couple of times. Um, I haven't seen like a ton of it, but what I noticed walking through Chicago was it seemed like every field or park I passed was treated like a dog park? Yes, it's a massive issue. We have a lot of reactive dogs. My dog, one of them who used to be formerly reactive, um, a lot of dogs get rushed and charged or attacked like my dog by untrained off-leash dogs. My dog has been attacked twice by off-leash dogs. And I can count just in the couple months alone on two hands how many times I've walked past the park with him leashed on a sidewalk and dogs have run out of the park and pursued us down the sidewalk oh my god it's I actually have a neighbor who just leaves her front door open and lets the dog come and go on the sidewalk as it would like and so when I walk by a dog or another dog it will just pursue you down the sidewalk and people who have puppies and such who have food and are training their dog the dog will like like be jumping on you and overstimulated because of the food like it's it's absolutely the off-leash dog problem is absolutely insane and it just goes back to people don't want to go to dog parks because of the behavioral issues it can cause and the health concerns but then they don't want to train their dogs so then they just let them have a free-for-all especially people you know with like the doodles and the golden retrievers who like my dog is friendly can cause no harm um but like, yeah, it's bad. Like Rudder was, Rudder was always dog neutral until he got attacked a couple of times. And now he definitely leans more toward fearful of dogs. And it sucks. It sucks so much because it's something I have to manage now. And I have to be a jerk to some people about leashing their dogs or creating space. But, you know, it's just like the reality of it, sadly. Yeah, that's, that's so hard. I'm definitely a person who like, really likes to control my environment. And so like everything that I do to socialize the puppies is very controlled and like very methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't imagine just stepping outside and not knowing what's about to happen to us. I mean, the craziest thing is when I had Tango, the service dog I was raising, I was so protective of her for obvious reasons. And she's like bulletproof genetically. Like she was like, she was actually rushed in bitten twice and she was completely fine. However, like I used it as an opportunity to stand my ground against these people and be like, this dog is somebody's future independence. Mm-hmm. This, like, this cannot be compromised. So when people would let their dog rush up and I would kick their dog and they'd be like, your dog is friendly. She was wagging your tail. She wants to play. And I'm like, this is a future service dog. Like, I don't know that your dog won't bite her. I don't know that your dog won't make her 
give her, you know, a disease that will take her out of training for three weeks. Like, yeah, even if even if my dog is friendly and is super dog social, it's just not appropriate. So yeah, it, it's super fresh. It's super frustrating. And I always wonder if Rudder didn't have those experiences of being attacked and rushed at such like in his teenage months, mm. if his if he would have a different demeanor, probably because he had some really bad encounters um, a couple times. And yeah, it just it just sucks. I just wish people would be more responsible dog owners, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But that's just the reality of like living in that kind of area. Um, mm-hmm. which is why we are having a whole podcast episode about it. Yeah, um, so right? how would you tell someone to teach their puppy? Because so what I, what I heard you say first was like, you know, a lot of this is frustration based because all these dogs are used to saying hi to every single dog. So when they're on a leash mm-hmm. and they can't, that's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But then also yeah. if you have a puppy and you're bringing them up, you kind of need to prepare them for those interactions with dogs because they're going to happen all the time. So like, how would you find that balance? It's tough. So I always tell people, if you have a puppy, a lot of people in the city go to these like PetSmart and all like the dog daycare places, they'll do like free puppy social hours on Sunday mornings, you know, bring socialize your puppy. But like, the worst thing you can do is socialize your puppy with other puppies, because if those puppies don't have good social skills, things just escalate or your puppy can be bullied and you end up with a dog that's like nervous and insecure. So I always tell people, if you have a friend with an adult dog who first of all, enjoys puppies, not all adult dogs do, but is like neutral, respectful, gives appropriate corrections when necessary. That's the dog to socialize your puppy with. And like, if you don't have a friend with one of those dogs, like through my training network and my friends, I connect them with people who have dogs like that. Those are the people to socialize puppies with. And I tell people like use dog parks to your advantage by not going in them, go and work your dog around the perimeter, bring a camping chair and just sit with your puppy in a lap, let them listen to the sounds, the growls, the barks, the fights, and just let them observe it. Um, But yeah, it's really hard because people just, especially during the summer when everyone gets a puppy in the city, like it's spring in the summer, they form these like social groups. Like you'll see in the parks, you may have seen this when you're here, people will literally bring wine to the park and they drink while they let their puppies get all their puppiness out. And no one's supervising, no one's advocating, no one's regulating, you know, and then they go home with a tired puppy and they're happy about that. Right. So it's like, it's just, yeah, and it's like you don't like in the suburbs, like you don't necessarily you don't see people necessarily doing that, right? It's like very right. different. And people just they get new puppies and they expect, oh, it's a social thing. Uh, my dog is gonna love everyone because it's a puppy. And I just see some I've definitely with when I'm just walking by, like going to CVS or something, I walk by a bunch of dog parks. I've definitely walked into dog parks before and been like, Whose dog is this? Somebody needs to step up and advocate for this dog. It's like hiding under a bench. Five dogs are barking at it and people are laughing, you know? So I'll walk in and I'll be like, whose dog is this? This isn't okay. Take your dog out of here. You know, it's scared. It's terrified. It's being bullied. And I try and be nice about it because a lot of people just don't know, you know? So it's like, I give people the benefit of the doubt and I try and be nice about it. But, you know, I try and do it in a way that makes people think like, huh. Like maybe we should be paying attention to these things. It's it's wild. <laughs> like yeah. I could go on and on. Now yeah. we're off track. Now we're off track from the puppies. I forgot what the original <laughs> question even was. But yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah, definitely. That's so funny. That's one of those things, like it feels like I crossed through a curtain and like now I can see everything. Cause I can, I can like remember a day when I would have been like, wow, that sounds awesome. Like go get together with my friends, have our puppies play, drink Mm -hmm. wine, like socialize, you know? And like now Mm -hmm. on the other side of that, I'm just like, I would walk past that and be like, what a disaster, like what a future disaster. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know what I think like, so I raised my first service dog puppy when I was in eighth grade. And the rules are very strict with those puppies. Like no unleash greetings with dogs ever, period. Mm. No dog parks ever, period. 
no random human greetings ever, period. If a human touches your puppy, it needs to be structured. And if the human doesn't follow the rules, you tell them, no, go away. So like, even like in eighth grade, I was learning how to advocate for dogs for their betterment. And so to me, it's second nature to just body block and shoo dogs away and use corrections to advocate for a dog. But a lot of people like, I mean, how would they know, right? right. Like, I, I've just, I've become more conscious of how, like, my thinking is probably like 0.2% of the population when it comes to dogs. Oh, yeah. And I used to be a jerk about it. Like, I used to just be really impatient with people, but I've learned it just turns people off. It doesn't open the door for conversation. So now I try to be a lot more kind about it and explain and spread the education. I love that. It's about like the betterment of the dogs and not necessarily putting people in their place, which sounds a lot more fun most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I I had a bad moment yesterday, but sometimes, you know, we all have our days. (laughs) Um, okay. So next you have on here breeds. So I'm really interested yeah. in what that means on your, on your outline. I feel like this is something that gets a lot of flack. It's very controversial, especially when you bring rescue dogs in the picture. So I'd, I'd love to hear your POV on this. I'm an advocate of some dog breeds belong in a city and some don't. How do you feel about that statement? I think that that sounds very smart, very good. And also like probably counterintuitive for most people, because I feel like most people think like, if it's a big dog, it shouldn't be in an apartment. And that's kind of like the extent of it. <laughs> right. Which like, uh, a great Dane would be a great apartment dog, exactly, right. Yes. Or like a Greyhound <laughs> or a Mastiff would be the perfect apartment dog. So I have this complex, I guess you could say about how people, when they factor into what dog they like they don't factor into the things that they can't control they think about themselves so they think about I like to run so I can get an active dog I have the money for grooming so I can get a dog with large grooming expenses I have a backyard so I can get this dog but they don't think about the things they can't control so like I can't control that our environment is very loud and has a lot of motion stimuli. So not great for herding breeds. It causes a lot of frustration over stimulation. So we like this city is full of Aussies, ACDs, Aussie doodles, border collies that are just extremely reactive out of frustration. Because imagine being a herding breed where you're genetically programmed to control things in movement and every day, all day, bikers, cars, buses, mopeds, skateboarders, and you're on a harness at the end and you like, you can't get any of that out of your system. It's all out of your control. So like in like terriers, you know, like that would be another group class that I get a little iffy about. So like, I think breed selection, if you're going at the purebred route and you're selecting a breed, I think you have to think outside of yourself and think about the environment And then when it comes to rescues, I get really upset by a lot of rescues in the city. And I don't blame them because they need to get dogs out of the door to take more dogs in. But they, so in Chicago, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this because you live on the East Coast, right? I live in Michigan. Oh, you live in Michigan. Oh, I'm from Michigan. Okay, we can talk about that. (laughs) Um, But it's really popular in Chicago and New York where rescues will drive to the South and take like the South has like a really big issue with like stray dogs breeding and like overpopulation, like whatever. And so they'll, they send these caravans down and they pick up like litters of puppies or other dogs and they bring them back to the city where there's a lot of demand to adopt dogs. The problem is, is that a lot of these dogs are herding breeds and hounds that aren't fit for city life, in my opinion, for the average dog owner. So you see a lot of people end up with dogs like Australian cattle dogs and (laughs) eagles. And if I could say like the one breed that should not be a pet dog, Laura would say Malinois. I would say healer. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I can't, there are probably 12 healers that live in my immediate neighborhood. Like we're talking like a five block radius and they're all rescues. They're not often breeders. Like, I've talked to these people um, 
And they're really attractive dogs and rescues because they're good looking and they're a good size and they, you know, have a short coat, all things people love, you know, for a city dog, but rescues don't disclose that they're insane, especially purely <laughs> bred. Can you imagine a purely bred Australian cattle dog or a purely br- poorly bred beagle and living in a city? Oh my God. So that's like the other grape I have is, people not selecting dogs properly and rescues not helping select dogs properly. We have like, when I walk past the dog park, it's only Australian shepherds and doodles. That's it. Like literally that's it. And I'm like, Australian shepherds, I don't think should be living in the city. And technically like uh, poodle mixes. I mean, poodles are like high drive dogs. They're workhorses. But yeah, people like how they look and doodles are doodles. So people will buy them. Yes. When I lived in Seattle, there was, um, there was a rescue nearby where I lived that like their, their whole thing was we go to Texas and get dogs that were like on death row and bring them back. Yeah, exactly. It's a thing. And the other big thing is rescuing dogs from the meat trade in China. I don't know if you've heard about this. And like Korea, right? In Korea. Yeah. And so I have, I have a friend my two friends who are dating and they live together, they rescue one of those dogs and it hasn't been going well. Um, and it's like, imagine a dog that lived in a, a crate its entire life. And then it just gets dropped off in the middle of Chicago. Right. You know, like, so that's why I get like, I'm all about rescue dogs. I love a good mutt. <laughs> like I love how you can find the most unique, cool dogs in shelters but I don't love how places just let people come in and pick whatever they want I just think it's wildly irresponsible yeah absolutely yeah um was it you uh who did a tiktok on this or someone else that was talking about like how um it's fine can you knock it off I'm right here um (laughs) who was talking about how like standards for dog owners should be higher like was it you that said like you can just go in to a pet store, buy a dog, and then throw it in the dumpster? No, but I just saw that today. I saw Maybe that TikTok was, today. Uh, did it? Was it oh, the Shiba girl? Oh, Emily. Yes, that's no, right. Emily. Emily. Yeah. Yep. Yes. That's absolutely I, correct. You could literally like walk into a pet store and get a dog and just like put it on the corner and leave. Like there's nothing stopping you from doing that. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's interesting? This is going to get us a little off topic, but I divulge. So in Chicago, there's a really big thing that when you rescue a dog, um, you have to, they take like $150 from you. And then you have two months to like take the dog to a basic obedience course. And then when you show them the completion of the course, you get your $150 back. So it's like a deposit, right? For proving that you did training with the dog. However, these rescues have a specified list of where you're allowed to go and what tools you're allowed to use with the dog. And so, you know, a lot of these people go to like, you know, PetSmart and they think that their dog is like trained now because they went to like PetSmart dog training and for people who adopt dogs with like behavioral issues and then treats and cookies aren't fixing it, they just return the dog or you like, you know, it's like, so that's like a massive problem as well. So I get the point where they're trying to set the dogs up for success like I think that's wonderful it's it's a great idea but the execution isn't always on point sure yeah like maybe instead it would be good to have like a network of trainers like these are the people that you can go to so you at least have like some assurance that someone knows what they're doing but you're not just limiting your people to like a specific set of training methods methodology yeah Yeah. And, and they'll make people sign a contract that says I will not use a versus on this dog for its entire lifetime and so like a lot of dogs get euthanized there's a really popular rescue in Chicago that I won't name but like legally they have to disclose every year how many dogs they euthanize and last year they euthanized 12 dogs just because of behavior issues and they're not a large volume rescue they're not like the anti-cruelty society but it really begs and they're purely positive only so it like really begs the question of did all 12 of those dogs need to be euthanized because of behavioral issues? Because your purely positive methods in the middle of Chicago didn't work for that dog. Right. 
So it like gets me kind of heated. That makes me really sad. <laughs> yeah, it's like really messed up because like again, it's like recognize your environment with thresholds. Yeah. Like not like not every method is gonna work for every dog here. Okay. So we'll move into the next part here. So what challenges might we face when working with city dogs? Um, and we, we kind of already touched on this, but let's get a little bit more mm -hmm. in depth with it. Um, so first of all is thresholds. And that's the one that I just really can't wrap my hand, head around is like never being able to find a, a spot that gets us under threshold, you know? Yep, exactly. And that's where a lot of like just advanced handling techniques come into play and just like really learning timing and how to read your dog's body language and how I touched on previously. Like some dogs just do need more aversive methods in the beginning just to get them in check so they can just process because a dog can't process if it's exploding. So if at least, if at least you can get a dog to sit still and engage that's a starting point. Right. And yeah. And that can be very, very controversial, yeah. but until you see what some of these, it really comes down to some of these dogs that it's like discomfort or death at that point for real. Um, yeah. So that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah. And that's um, something that has come up on our podcast before because yeah, Laura and I have different backgrounds. She um, runs a behavior rescue in Vegas so that she deals with dogs who are like one bite away from being put down. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that she approaches training is a lot different than the way that I approach it. Cause she's like, I can afford zero mistakes. We're just like in that place where it's like, I have to do this or this dog could lose its life, which yep. is something that I don't think a lot of people think about. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And it's like not even reactivity thresholds. It's just like, if you have a dog that barks when you leave, or whines like that, like yeah. you'll get neighbor, you'll get neighbor complaints. So yeah, it's really unfortunate. Sometimes you have to expedite things in ways that you wouldn't otherwise have to, and not necessarily saying that you're like abusing or like exposing the dog to pain, but sometimes you do have to suppress behaviors in order to be able to access an emotional response. Yeah. Which is not something I've ever worked with, just like for full disclosure. I've never been in that situation. So it's pretty foreign to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's really good to talk about because it's just not something that people think about. Like people hear like the different training methods. They're like, oh, well, of course, like the nicest one is the best, you know, but like, yeah, there's and just like, factors that don't get considered in that. I get really defensive on this topic because, you know, people will say, well, then, you know, drive the dog to a, a park when it's quiet. And I'm like, well, most people in the city don't own cars. Right. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you have children that you need to get ready to, for school and you can't, you don't have that type of time. Or, you know, people are learning their handling skills and they're just not great at management techniques yet. Right. So it's like, you have to give people some grace. And yes, is there always the option to rehome the dog to a more appropriate home? Yes, of course, that's an option. But one, who says it's going to go to a more appropriate equipped home? And two, I think it's like really insensitive just to walk into a home and be like, well, you're not equipped for this rehome the dog, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, it can get really complicated. Yeah, definitely. And, and with most good rescues, they're going to have a stipulation that you have to return it to them. And if they were willing to adopt to you, they're going right. to be willing to adopt to someone else in your situation. <laughs> and they, they mask behaviors like through humor. A lot of times they'll write these bios for the dogs of, you know, like is a proper gentleman, doesn't like being rushed into introductions, blah, blah, blah. You're just making fun of a dog that's human reactive. Like, right. You know, so that's the other problem with it. Yeah. Which I can see how that makes the dog more adoptable, but like doesn't right. give accurate information to the adopter. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then other dog owners and stimuli, we, we touched on those both, but are there any other things that you feel like you need to be like um, expanded on? No, I think that really just comes down to like learning how to advocate for your dog, which is a really important dog owner skill when you live in a city and learning how to read dog body language, which is also a really important thing to learn in a city. I see a lot of people walking down the streets and the dogs like 
tail is tucked, ears are down. And the owner is just like pulling the dog, thinking that it doesn't want to walk. Not that this dog is like terrified of what's happening in front of it, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that too, of people just misreading their dogs. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, it's definitely part of like, so you're talking about how like when you have puppies, you like do like, you know, it's like puppy culture stuff. You expose them to XYZ things. You have like the right age frame for it. It's like age appropriate. But yeah, like that's like always the one big thing that I go over with my puppy clients is how to properly socialize a puppy to uncontrollable stimuli, which like you wouldn't really, I mean, you would do it in a suburb, but like not to the extent. So it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, one of my puppy head start dogs, uh, went home recently and the noise of the garbage truck that comes in front of their house is just like louder and more like right next to her than anything that I can introduce her to out here. So she's having some Mm -hmm. like difficulty with that. Like, what are you going to do when you just walk out your door and there's just like a hundred loud things happening? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a wild ride. (laughs) Yep. Um, okay, cool. So um, I'll wrap up the episode with our signature questions. So we have four signature okay. questions to ask you. Um, the first one is, and it doesn't have to be related to the topic that we were on today, um, but if there was one thing that you could get every dog owner to understand, what would it be? Dogs have boundaries too. That's my biggest thing. You know, I, I always like, this is how I explain it. So some people is like, imagine like uh, you're at a bar with your friends, like with a group of friends. And a stranger walks up to the table because they want to like, they're looking for new friends or they're like, want to hit on someone, whatever. I am the type of person that when a stranger walks up to my table, I'm like, you, what are you doing? I didn't come here to hang out with you. Like, why? Like, you know, like, why are you here? Why are you walking up? Like, this is very weird. Why do you just think that you can walk up to a group of clearly a close group of friends and then I have other friends who's like oh my god hey who are you you know like come sit down and that it's the same thing with dogs right like there are definitely the dogs are like I love strangers I know no danger whatever and then there are definitely dogs like me that are more like why are you coming into my space I didn't invite you over here I actually don't want to hang out with a stranger you know so like That's what I tell people and like, is it in to respect that? Because if Mm -hmm. you don't respect that, that's where you get a dog that's reactive, aggressive, et cetera, et cetera. And to not force expectations on your dog. If your dog is one of those dogs that doesn't want to be touched by every stranger, that's your dog. You can't make a dog like people. You can help a dog learn to be neutral with people, but you can't make a dog like something it doesn't like. And so my big thing is like dogs have boundaries too and to respect the dog for who it is as an individual. I love that. Yeah. I feel like people think of dogs as just like happy, friendly all the time. And if they're not, then that's defective. And so then we need to hire a dog trainer until we get that happy, friendly dog. That's not defective. (laughs) Or they feel embarrassed. And my thing is like, I purposefully chose Rudder because he is neutral. He's not super social. He doesn't really love strangers, but I chose him for the reason of I was so sick of having Goldens and Labs who were so obnoxiously social and you had to do so much training to counter that, to get Mm -hmm. a dog that was in control and a dog that you could just take somewhere and be neutral, that I would rather have a dog that I say, no, please don't pet him. He doesn't like being pet than a dog that I'm like constantly working against social ability. Yeah. So, you know, but for like the average dog owner who doesn't have a ton of dog skills, like the super social lab may be a better option. So it's, it's really just, you know, it, it depends. Yeah. And that's something that um, we don't tend to think about when we think about like dogs that would be good for our lifestyle is that, that more personality type thing, like not mm-hmm. just are they active or not, um, but like, will they want to say hi to everything? And am I that kind of person? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I am not an extrovert. Tango, my service dog that I just had, she was so social and I hated it. Like I hated it. <laughs> I like, I chose a dog who's just like me, like don't come up and bother us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like we're just happy doing our own thing. 
And then if you have time for it, I would love to, to, I would love you to hit your bonus here that you have written down. Oh, what? Let me see. uh, Be wise of consumer marketing in the dog and pet industry. Yes. If you follow me on TikTok, you know, is that I think pet owners are some of the most vulnerable consumers and it makes me really frustrated. And I know this from being an educated pet owner, but I also know this from working in advertising and knowing what goes on behind the scenes. And it makes me really frustrated seeing people get taken advantage of when it comes to things like food is a big one, even veterinary care, but also where you get your dog and from who. I think pet owners are one of the most misled and manipulated groups of consumers. And so it's really difficult because a lot of people don't even realize it. And I'll make these TikToks just, you know, calling things out and people will be really defensive about their choices to have gone along with that. And that's how, that's how powerful these brands and these marketing dollars have gotten that they've completely twisted the way that we think about how we care for feed everything about our pets. It's, it's absolutely wild. It's absolutely wild. They convince us to do the most terrible things for our dogs. It's, it's really, it's sickening at times. Yeah. And the comments on those that tend to get defensive, it's like, you're not exposing people who don't care about their dogs. You're exposing an industry that doesn't care about pet owners, but they just take it so personally of like, no, I care about my dog and I feed them Purina or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's the little things also like, I'm going to sell you this shampoo that makes your dog smell like a vanilla latte. Why is that ever a good idea for a dog? Mm. You know, a dog, you know, their sense of smell is like what a hundred or like 10,000 times more powerful than ours. Why would they want to walk around in the cloud of vanilla latte? (laughs) Or like, you know, the treats are dyed pretty colors dogs don't see those colors like we do it's for us it's not for them um and it goes on the list goes on and on and on and on um but that is like super frustrating for me super frustrating am I right that you like you sell sessions for nutrition like if someone has questions they could get a hold of you for that yeah so it's not necessarily nutrition consults I call them build a better bowl. So I work with people who have otherwise like generally healthy dogs or dogs with minor health concerns, like, you know, different types of allergies or just like GI upset or like yeast issues or just their aging, right? Or they have like joint issues and give them customized solutions for their budget and their lifestyle to help them build a better bowl for their dog. That's awesome. I might do that. Um, um, okay. Next question. What event in your career has been the most impactful on you? Definitely, um, raising service dogs and see them graduate. It's like still something that makes me cry. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, like, you may be under, have you been involved in dogs for a long time? Have you always been a dog person? Oh no, I'm a, I'm a baby trainer last five years. Oh, okay. So like, Like I was, we talked about this earlier. I've just been such a dog person for so long. And it's been really, it's been, it's always been hard for me to find similar like-minded people. And I was always like teased a lot for like being a nerd and being like the girl who like loves dogs and like, you know, didn't do like normal things. I would like go hang out alone and like borrow neighbor's dogs and putting so much work into service dogs at a young age and watching them graduate was like so validating for me. And like, that was like the first time that people were like, Oh, like you can like do this. And like with the search and rescue dogs of being like, I at a young age have found a way that to take a passion to like help people to like have a larger impact than myself was a very powerful emotion to feel Mm. to be like there's a way to take knowledge that you have and skill that you have that the general population doesn't have and use that for the betterment of others and so that's like where I get the most pride from my involvement in dogs is just like you finding a way to use dogs to help people I guess is the way that you could say it 
Um, and that's like my true commitment is even just training the puppies. It's like, you know, having yeah. a puppy sucks. It ruins your <laughs> life for like six to nine months. So if I can help someone through that and make their life easier, like I don't even need to be, I don't even need a paycheck for that. It just makes me feel good to help people through that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the working dogs thing is really close to my heart. That's awesome. So do you do that through a program? Yep. So each one has been through a program. I've done a different program each time just for variety. Um, I have a friend who self-trained service dogs, which is something really interesting that I've been curious about. But as much as I hate having puppies, I kind of love raising the, the puppy service dog because you take them from just, they're just a puppy. They're a blank slate. They don't even know what they're destined to be and you help shape that Mm -hmm. and it's like it gives you purpose every day like every little moment you're like no I need to fix this because this Mm -hmm. is like the difference of someone's independence or not and so I like that part of it that's amazing yeah um what has been the biggest mistake you've made working with dogs and what did you learn from it oh I I think I this was one that I thought about ahead of time Yes, is trying to make a dog fit a mold rather than accept the dog who it is as an individual. That's like, I made that mistake with my own dog, Rudder, and I've made that mistake with other dogs in the past. And I think that's like the worst thing you can do for a dog. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not a parent, but my mom has said, like, that's also the worst mistake that parents can make for their kids, too. It's like, I want you to be a doctor, but you want to be a musician. And I'm going to make you feel bad about that. It's like the same thing with dogs. Like you don't want to be social with strangers, but I wanted a social dog. So I'm going to try and make you do that. And like, that's when everything falls apart. Right. Yeah. Um, when I even think about Rudder, if I would have recognized some of, if I would have recognized some of his tendencies earlier and would have received them rather than try to condition them differently I think I would have gotten a better end result honestly um like sometimes I feel like dog trainers get so in this weeds of I can fix this I can mold that I can shape this yeah because I have xyz skills and you get too far down the rabbit hole rather than just being like nope this is what the dog is you know and just accepting it yeah that's my, uh, my dog Mooney. One of the most frustrating things for me, I've had him. He's actually the reason I became a dog trainer. Um, oh, really? yeah, I got him when I had no idea what I was doing and he made my life a nightmare, but he is, uh, he's a mutt, but he's mostly Husky and, um, it's like not handler focused at all. And no matter how much, like how many training sessions we do, where we like reinforce him looking at me, whatever, if I never asked him to look at me again, he wouldn't like, he would never look at me again. (laughs) And it's like one of the most frustrating things, but like at some point you're just like, okay, this is just the dog that I have. And I have to work with that. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is I had had this realization about rudder prior with some other things um mostly actually well I won't get into that like some things with his health that were out of my control but like I come from an obedience and task training background and one of the reasons why I got a Springer Spaniel is because they're like super biddable and they love to learn and that's totally rudder super biddable loves to learn however he is a dog that when you put too many rules around him he flaps and mm-hmm. so it wasn't until, do you follow Who's Your Canine on TikTok? Yeah. Uh-huh. Joey. So I went to visit him with Rudder to get his POV on some things going on with him that just were not making sense to me. And he was the first person who told me who was like, I think you love obedience more than your dog loves obedience. And I think that's where some of what you're seeing is stemming from is you need, he needs, like, he was like, I get that you love training dogs, but like do trick training with him. Mm-hmm. Do just teach him random stuff for the sake of doing it because he loves to learn, but obedience is so position, minute, you know, like very exact. He was like, I don't think he likes that part of it like that part of it is it's too many rules for this dog Hmm. and at first I was like really defensive about it and then on the drive home with my friend I was like I yeah 
I think that's it. And I've completely changed the way that I work with him. And I've seen a completely different dog. So prime example of trying to make a dog do what you don't want it to do. And also another example of dog, dog trainers shouldn't be know-it-alls because it's a constant learning experience. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. That that's one of my pet peeves is like when people act like they're an expert in everything. And I'm like, you literally can't be like, could you be like a lung doctor and a foot doctor? No. Like there's just, there's so much going on. No. And like, I mean, I get DMs from people every day, like just in Chicago asking like, Hey, my dog has this, this, and this, like, can I hire you to fix it? And I'll be like, no, like, that's not my area of expertise, you know? Yeah. Like, sure. Some people would love to take your $150 and pretend like they know what they're doing, but I'm like, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the moral side of dog training is also interesting in that way. Yeah. And Mooney, by the way, we got him into scent work this year and he loves scent work. Like he kind of yeah. gets to guide it and like be yeah. the one in charge. And I think that's very fun for him. Yeah. Rudder loves scent work too. And then last question for you, where can our listeners find you? I think the easiest places would be TikTok and Instagram at my boy Rudder. I respond to Instagram DMs infinitely more than I respond to TikTok DMs. So if somebody wants to reach out about a question or to book a build a better bull session, um, Instagram DMs would be the place to go. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. I loved this conversation. Oh my God. Good. It was so nice to meet you. You too. And if you ever want to come back in the future, I know that we would love to do another nutrition episode. So just let us know. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I would be down for that. Just let me know whenever works for your schedule. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Maddie. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Doggeritaville Yappy Hour. We hope you enjoyed your time unleashing and unwinding with our special guest. You can support the Doggeritaville podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, following us on Instagram, and becoming a member on patreon.com slash doggeritaville. Email your questions to us at doggeritaville at gmail.com, which is also where you can send your ideas for episodes or margarita themes. And until next time, give your dog a treat from us.